Space. The final frontier. Well, okay, not, not really. All right, uh, take two, take two. Here in the Mitten State, welcome to Code 47, bringing you all things Star Trek, spanning the quadrants, the best thing since the neutral zone. Ladies and gentlemen, back again with the Secret Friends Unite Podcasting Network, bringing you Code 47. This is episode 74. Uh, I am your Trek Lord of West Michigan, Charlie Carden, coming at you from delightful Grand Rapids, Michigan, welcoming back uh, an old sod, the chief of engines aboard the USS Grand Petoskey, our fan club chapter here in Grand Rapids. Peter Stein is back with me uh, for several weeks to talk about Star Trek enterprise and of course new programming that's going on so peter hello hey how's it going everybody how's it going what are you doing your best doctor nick hey everybody (laughs) i should do my best trip impression i guess oh Oh, yeah there you go well we will ease into that um certainly shortly enough but peter what have you been doing to keep yourself busy since last we spoke um i've been doing a whole bunch of stuff uh been i think the I don't know that I was working my IT job the last time we talked, but I'm, oh, gotcha. I'm doing that. Uh, so my role as chief of engines on the in the fan club, and now I'm working on computers. There you go. Look at so, that. Life imitating art, art imitating life. Exactly. That is uh, truly exceptional. Well, speaking of truly exceptional, uh, as we jump into the first segment of the show, I was very excited by these two episodes of Strange New Worlds that we saw in the past couple of weeks. I thought... Uh, I mean, I thought I've been loving this show so far. And again, Peter, I know that you are uh, coming in, um, following up the fact that that Katie and I have talked about episodes one through four. But how are you feeling about Strange New Worlds? I mean, if you come out and say that you hate it, we're going to have a kind of an. (laughs) We're going to do the best we can. So what have you thought? Just excuse me in briefness. What have you thought about episodes um, one through four so far? I actually have been quite enjoying Strange New Worlds. Thank so, God. So, I know <laughs> yeah, that I had some fairly negative things to say about Picard, but I, I really like Strange New Worlds. Well, good. Yeah, we were not at all fans um, of season two of Picard on this show at all. It was everything but the kitchen sink. It's throw throwing spaghetti against the wall and seeing what sticks. And yep. in the final analysis, nothing really did. But we don't want to rehash old no, rounds. No, we don't need let's, to go over that. But I'm, let's, I, let's, I quite enjoyed I've yeah. quite enjoyed Strange New Worlds so far. I do, and, and I thought these, and like I said, I felt like these two episodes that that we saw in the past couple of weeks were were pretty exceptional in themselves. Yeah, I'll take episode five, and then you jump in, and you can read the summary of episode six. So episode okay. five was called Spock Amok. Amok, Amok, time. I don't know. Yeah, is a mock yeah. or a muck? I don't know. What, how do you say it? It's Amok in the original series, but they're going for a muck, like okay, a disaster. <laughs> It was. I mean, the description of the episode, it's a comedy of manners when Spock has a personal visit in the in the middle of Spock and Captain Pike's crucial negotiations with an unusual alien species. So this was our first uh, kind of dyed-in-the-wool stab at a, a comedic episode. Um, yeah. You know, so we've got, uh, you know, just, just kicking it off, we've got, you know, a very typical, you know, going to a star base we got some negotiations going on the crew is on leave and so we're getting a little bit of interplay with that as well um 
And uh, it really turns out that Spock is having a visit from his lady friend to Pring. Now, again, you know, you and I have talked TOS. I'm not the biggest fan in the world, but there were some things about Vulcan cultural in general that were set up as pretty specific. Like, yeah, they, they mate once every seven years. And I was always left with the impression that impression that with the exception of that seven year window, they pretty much were sexless. They didn't, they didn't date. They didn't do anything at all. It was just every seven years, they've got the drive to, to mate now. Yeah. I mean, there's exceptions like Sarek with Amanda, but, right. I mean, yeah. maybe maybe this is this is kind of expanding that definition of you know perhaps Ponfar is once every seven years that they're truly mating as in, as far as reproducing, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they don't engage in a romantic you know that they don't have a sex life. Yeah. I don't know. I guess I was potentially left with that impression from everything that we saw, you know, with Spock. And then a lot of it was played out with Tuvok kind of here and there uh, for laughs or, or Torek uh, in uh, season three of Voyager. He was a young Vulcan engineer mm-hmm. uh, who was going through Ponfar and he wanted to, he wanted to mate with Balana, and, and unfortunately in the joining kind of gave her Ponfar and then it was a whole thing at the end. So yeah, I was, I was kind of left with that, but again, that kind of speaks to the mystique of, the, the extreme privateness of Vulcan culture in general, that, that even though it's, it's a fictional species, somehow we don't know everything about it. You know, they're kind of keeping yeah. that secret. But anyway, yeah, that was, uh, you know, they, they pulled a freaky Friday out of this deal, uh, through, through a pond fire, yep. uh, Spock and, um, to Pring, his intended, uh, they ended up having to make a switch. And so he was, uh, had to take over her job and her job is she is a, uh, how would you re- really describe what she does? She's kind she's, of a, she's a rehabilitation officer, right? Right. So she she had an important meeting at the same starbase. Yeah. This all takes place on. Is it was this was this the one that took place on Starbase One or was that this? The next they said it's Starbase One. This looks it looked to me like Jupiter Station. Okay, gotcha. Um, I, I love what they've done, and again, we, we got a big touch of that in the first episode of. of Starbase One, which was also in Discovery, was pummeled by the Klingon. So they even made mention in this episode about how they're rebuilding and refurbing it. But mm-hmm. this gives a beautiful opportunity because they have these bio, these biomes, these kind of biodomes within the Starbase yeah. One that um, gives them the, the crew a, you know, a beautiful chance to do location shoots. Of course, this is all yeah. got in uh, in and around the Toronto area, so a lot yeah. of you know, kind of rural Ontario uh, that they're going out to the beautiful lake setting and all this different mm-hmm. stuff, which I really, I really. And they've, they've put that to use more than yeah. once. But, but yeah, this entire episode w- was, again, it was, uh, you know, a Strange World's first kind of stab uh, at a comedic take, which I liked. Um, yeah. yeah, no, I really dug it. What were your thoughts? I generally liked it. I, because I'm a big TOS fan, I really liked the, the teaser at the beginning where Spock mm-hmm. had to fight himself. <laughs> right. Because exactly. they, they pulled bit. out the old. Uh, arena. They have pulled out the old Amok time music. Right. The Lerpas all were the same, and the the goofy like bell stuff, and like right. it was just like it was a good visual update. But right. you could tell what it was, and I quite liked right. that. Um, I also really liked the um, the aliens that they were trying to negotiate with. Just to touch on something else, yeah. Because uh, you're sitting there going, "What are these guys up to?" Because first time you see them, they're arguing with the best of the Tellarites. Now, then they're being, you know, reasonable with the humans, and then they're being logical with the Vulcans, and everyone's sitting there going, like, I don't know what's going on. And then Pike ends up having to be like 
sarcastic, and that's what that's what right. Which is is there, is there a more defining trait of humanity than sarcasm? <laughs> oh my god, we could have already stumbled onto an early contender for the name of the episode. I'm going to have to scroll to the yeah. bottom, but but no, please continue. Yeah, um, so I really liked the whole like um, negotiation thing. I think they did a really good job with that. Um, I'm I myself am still a little hesitant about uh, the whole redefining how Vulcan stuff works. Right, um, I understand, but that's me. Um, but I think that they did a better job in this one with like more of like the finger touching and stuff because they didn't really touch on that earlier so to speak uh, yeah right. um, I mean, so i like seeing that come back into it so it wasn't yeah. like as much of a let's uh, let's just get in the sack it was a let's understand each other which always struck me as more what vulcans were right. about in a relationship very contemplative with their meditation and yeah. it's very deliberate i mean when you're you know when you're mating once every seven years seems like it would lend itself to the propensity to uh to really think things out a little bit more. So that makes sense. And I think you mentioned something uh, that I have really embraced. And I know that of the, the social media community out there and always please uh, hit us up at secret friends, you or myself personally at the C3 on Twitter uh, with contrasting thoughts. But I know that it's difficult for some of these kind of heritage fans really dug in the wool to understand. And I've talked about this both here on uh, on this program and certainly over on Secret Friends uh, about the updating of uh, all things within this, the uniforms, the ships, the this, the that. Um, and then just to, you know, and just to let your minds, I imagine forward that that's what things continue to look like. Because again, um, you know, modern uh, viewers, people, you know, kind of consumers of, of content in this very competitive age of of content are not really going to be accepting of those those wonderful old cardboard sets that you know really cut the mustard back in '66. But now we've got you know so much more of a diff- different aesthetic. I'm very comfortable with, you know, feeling that this is the way things looked. And then it became, you know, it, it looked like it looked in our enterprise, which we're going to talk about in a while. And then yeah. it looked like this, and then it moved into looking uh, like it did in the TOS films and so on and so forth. It feels more cohesive. Now the Klingons in discovery, Katie and I were kind of grousing about this, that I'm not so crazy about. I, I loved what yeah. enterprise did with the smooth headed Klingons, but you know, not to get too far afield, but I, I love the updating. I think that that's definitely, yeah the way that you I, want to I think that Strange New Worlds is doing a better job with the updating than Agreed. It, it's Discovery not, did. It's not um, going, and again, I'm not the world's biggest fan of Discovery, and I know Kate, Katie may be listening to this and is probably poking you know, needles in Charlie Dow because she loves Discovery, and that's okay. I respect that, but again, it, I know she and I were in agreement that the first season of Discovery, which is where the Klingons were so heavily involved, was just mm-hmm. Only it was all over the place, and they were trying to yeah. kind of too much, too soon, too whatever, um, you know. But again, we're not trying to drill down too much on discovery. No. Any final thoughts before we move on to episode six? Um, I liked the Enterprise Bingo thing that they did, where it's mm-hmm. like the oh. lower deck folks have just this random checklist of things. The only thing that I thought was weird is why call it Bingo when it's not a grid, but. <laughs> <laughs> I you, again, is you know, it's <laughs> too too many grains of sand. Yeah, um, but yeah, no, I hear you. No, yeah, that was fun, and it really it humanizes, um, you know, two characters who are you watching number one and and uh, you know I, Lieutenant Singh uh, kind of. Yeah. When I was watching it, I kind of liked the. I thought that like 
Major Barrett's version of number one would actually be completely fine being called where right. fun goes to die. Right. Um, and then I'm sitting there going like fun goes to die. Why not short that fun's funeral? But <laughs> you can't have funeral without fun. Oh, exactly. new or, or if I take the fun out, you are in trouble now. <laughs> so. Putting the fun <laughs> Putting the fun in funeral. That's the name of the episode now, but we're going to, I don't know if you, if you paid attention to Katie and I really skimmed through and we would find newer, newer names for the episode as we went, because mm-hmm. I would never remember. I get to the end. I'm like, Oh God, if I don't type those in as I go, we're in deep shit. Yeah. Um, but anyway, moving on to episode six. Um, I, this one is, this one is for you to read. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I have many thoughts. I really enjoyed this one. Please yeah, go ahead. So episode six, lift us where suffering cannot reach. A threat to an idyllic planet reunites Captain Pike with the lost love of his life. To protect her and a scientific holy child from a conspiracy, Pike offers his help and is forced to face unresolved feelings of his past. Wow, that doesn't really touch on anything that happens. No, I was going to say, and describing her as the lost love of his life is it kind of seems like a total hyperbolic. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. This is this is kind of your uh, your, your USA Today uh, headline grabber. That yeah, I'm just not really yeah. buying it. So, I I liked this. This one, this was uh, yeah, yeah. this was a very Star Trekky kind of plot. Um, you know the uh, you know the Enterprise is in a far distant sector, uh, encountering a non Federation world that uh, you know much like the Vulcans, uh, they have their secrets. They keep things kind. Of, but you know, being non Federation, they they have their own rules. Prime Directive doesn't apply. The Federation, you know, really doesn't have any authority to make change. Uh, so what we find out is that you know when they show up, they have to rescue this young child and his father and they you know this government official who's somebody yeah. that you know pike has had encounters with a decade earlier um there was i, I you know i'm trying to remember I, I really should have rewatched it again before we got on here but did they i don't know if they trysted back then or they had feelings they didn't act on or something like it's that it's not entirely clear because i just okay. watched it like an hour ago Okay, gotcha. So, yeah, but I mean, obviously, that's the that's the thread, you know, throughout the you know the the thrill of danger. He rescues her, or whatever it is, and then you know yeah. they they end up hooking up, and she's like, "Stay here with me," blah blah blah. But what, what's ultimately found out is that the biological father and this child is a wonder child. He's you know he's Wesley Crusher on steroids. You know, he's just he's smart. He knows everything. He's you know, yep. talking to Mabenga sideways, and he's uh, interacts with Mabenga's you know poor daughter who is stored you know in the transport buffer. But when she's out there playing game or whatever it is um and it's it's very cute and endearing but what we come to find out this biological father is is trying to uh facilitate an escape for himself and the child because the child has an anointing ceremony coming up you're not seeing my air quotes if you're not watching us on youtube um that's all kind of wrapped in mystery because the crew here's like oh you know he's you know he's like Queen Amidala. He's a young leader, blah, blah, blah. He's going to get up there. And yeah, he's a figurehead, kind of yeah, like exactly. a spiritual leader. You know. But unfortunately, what it is is that when they have a, a, a child of his nature, what they really do is he's a living battery. They plug him in uh, and use his life force to maintain the structural integrity of their planet. So he yep. sacrifices his life for that. And that's super sad. Um, it's something, and thank God, you know, they didn't play it out like, and here's the kid dying because you saw, you know, they unplugged, <clears throat> they took the previous recipient and it was a kid under a cloth and pipe pulls it back and it's a, it's a desiccated skeleton and, you know, ooh, that's a little unpleasant, but again, they didn't, it wasn't graphic or anything like that, you know, they at least didn't dwell on it. It was pretty exactly. gnarly, but they didn't dwell exactly. on it. Exactly. And, you know, certainly, you know, dead children in any culture or climate is not something anybody wants to see or talk about. But um, regardless, 
um, you know, this would be one of those, I'm going to sweep in, you know, Starfleet would sweep in and save the day. And they don't. I mean, they, without the authority, the ceremony moves forward. They plug the kid in and the episode is all well and done. He says, isn't there any, could we rescue him? He says, no, we can't unplug him because it's too late and it would kill him anyway. Um, so, you know, at the end, it's still the girl is like, well, I want you to stay with me. And he was just so abhorrent at what he saw and this completely un- Starfleet kind of thing, um, you know, this usury, it was, you know, he's a living computer. And I turned to April and I said, well, you know, uh, a decade later, you know, the Enterprise can come back, Kirk is in command, and he'll just talk the computer to death. He did it like five or six times. <laughs> it's one of the things he does, you know, he, he, he bangs every chick that comes along and he talks computers to death. Those are like the two, you know, action items at the top of his resume. Well, that that's does. that's our Zap Brannigan view of him. The cocking computer bit, he sure does. The sleeping oh. with actually not so much. Yes, um, exactly. Oh, my goodness. So I thought I thought this was a great episode. I, I liked it for its, you know, its, its trekness, but I, I liked it that they didn't give us the, you know, sitcom ending at the end where it's like, we're going to save the day and blah, blah, blah. at the end of it, you just sometimes yeah. you just can't. And that's really, you know, where this, I, where this I, did, I really like yeah. that. I did appreciate that they pulled like they actually pulled like a TNG ending mm-hmm. where TOS had a few of these, but TNG did this more where it's like. Well, that went sideways, and we can't do anything about it. Damn right. it! Well, it was um, like a, it's like Riker and uh, on the episode the, the episode of the Outcast because he fell in love with the the, yeah. the, the Janai. The, they were the genderless species, uh, and, and you know, and but you know, every once in a while, you know, one of our people was born with gender, and she said I was born female, so she fell in love. They started a romance, and and she was caught and sent to correction. And again, I don't want to get too deep into that because that's a highly controversial topic for any time but in the end of it you know she was you know they got to her they converted her and in the end they just Riker had to walk away what else was he going to do because again they were not it was the same thing it was a non-federation world doesn't apply to federation rules and it's it comes back to respecting other cultures even if you're seeing what we might consider to be a grave injustice it was kind of the same thing when Worf broke his back in the episode ethics you know they couldn't figure how ritualistic suicide was the only thing he would contemplate because those are his, you know, those are his societal norms. Um, and we humans are like, but that's not b- 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 what we would do. Cause that's not, he could, you know, do this thing and that thing. And yeah. Picard says uh, you or I could live with a, a, an injury like this. Worf can't, you know, and the same thing, you know, the same thing with the Janai, the same thing, obviously with this planet, you know, this is what they do and we don't have a right to judge it. This is what makes their society function in a literal or, or figurative sense. And, and well, you know, they didn't quite come down as hard on that in this one. I don't think because they did have the government leader, like she was covering it up for sure. But right. there was, there was a point where she was like, nah, this is bad, but we don't have a way around it. Right. Um, Cause she was, she did say like, we tried to find another way. We've tried a lot of different ways to try to power the system and we just haven't been able to find anything. So like they're they're they are trying, but as they keep hinting throughout the episode, their technology is so far beyond the Federation mm-hmm. that the Federation can't really help them to solve that issue. Right. And they, and as you said, they don't really want them to because it's their own secret thing. Right. Exactly. Um, Couch in their own secrets. So anyhow, um, God, I'm loving this series. I, I can't remember 
uh, at a time, any time in Trek when we've had something that's been this this strong out the gate. And, and again, Strange New Worlds has quite the pedigree. It's spun off of an unaired pilot. It's a sequel to a prequel because it was it was you know the, a heavy function of season two of Discovery. Um, mm-hmm. So it's it's spun off from that, but still a prequel of TOS. So again, it has all of these. I think it has all of these factors like a stew working for it that is really cooked together um, to create something that has been lacking from new Trek as a whole. Because again, Picard has had his moments, Discovery's had its moments. Lower Decks is something totally different, which I've had a variety yeah. of different feelings about. You and I were just talking this morning when uh, Strange New Worlds comes to an end, which is just going to be in a few weeks from now. I get a very strong feeling that Lower Decks is going to be the next thing that we're going to be taking on. I think so. Probably. Because again, when April and I were in Mission Chicago, they, they, they had the cast up there. They showed some footage. So it seems like, you know, that would be the next thing that they have ready or that at the very least having Prodigy come back because that's been probably mm-hmm. in the camp for quite some time now. And they're going to finish yeah. their probably 20 episode first season. And we've seen 10. So anyway, the speculation will ramble on. Uh, limitlessly. But anyway, moving on, it's time for us to start a new show. And we're going to start a new show this time with a song sung by Peter. Go ahead. It's been a long road getting from there to here. All right. It's been a long time. Okay, we're done. <laughs> don't, don't give it to Always, you know, first for a show business, always keep them wanting for more. That's right. We're getting into season two of Enterprise. And I don't know, Peter, did we do season one together? We did not. Okay. Because um, I know that, you know, this show, admittedly, you know, we're up to we're up to episode 74. Um, I've had a variety of, of second chair co-hosts. I've been the person who's been on. They haven't done one of these without me because my show. <laughs> um, but, you know, I've... I've my original intention when I started the show with Alex, who's my original co-host, was to break down, was to basically touch every episode of Star Trek at some point between now and the time that that we aren't doing the show anymore, which hopefully will be never. I mean, I'm sure we'll yeah. never run out of material, but I hope so. But yeah, I obviously I did season one of Enterprise with somebody else. I would have to go back through my archives and look and see because it's not coming to my memory. But regardless, um, yeah, uh, so we're in Enterprise now. This was the first. Uh, no, was, no, they did. Yeah, season one was a full season. That was season yeah. one was yeah, one. season one of Voyager. I think was shorter, right? And, as with and and with DS Nine, because they both started in January of their respective years. They started where this the start. I remember where this started in September of one. So this was September of two. Um, and it's it's picking up with a cliffhanger. So we're going to talk about the first seven episodes, and uh, I will take the first one. So the cliffhanger, uh, Shockwave, part two. Uh, as a group of Suluban take over the Enterprise, Captain Archer tries to return from the 22nd century. So essentially what happened in the first part was that Enterprise was beaming down to, you know, a world they were investigating. And we found out that the Suluban, who is their nemesis, had planted uh, some kind of, you know, device on the bottom of the shuttle pod that ignited the atmosphere and wiped out the colony and, and all in an effort to get enterprise enterprise's mission canceled which ended up happening so when enterprise was on its way back to earth that's when daniel shows up he's a time traveler from the future he says this is not supposed to be happening blah 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 you got to come back with me to the future and he's from the 29th century yeah there you go pulls him back there again i'm just i'm riffing off my memory so mm-hmm. great preparedness i know um so he pulls him back there um and then but back in the present oh no 
He didn't pull him back there. Back in the present, Enterprise is headed back there, surrounded by Suleiman. And they say, you know, we'll let you go if Archer surrenders himself. He walks into the turbo lift, and all of a sudden, he's in a ruined building yep. in the 29th century. And Quite then, the and cliffhanger. <laughs> that's the cliffhanger. Oh, shit. Um, so, yeah, so this episode starts up that we're in the same situation. Um, and so Archer is spending his time during the episode trying to figure out how to get back because, you know, he's in, you know, there's no tech where he is. And so he can't time travel. Meanwhile, the crew is being, you know, locked up and, and to Paul is being, you know, uh, tortured or at least subjected to intense questioning. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it, it, in the final analysis, the crew manages to. Uh, exonerate themselves, and then they do kind of the old convenient space trial at the end, which they said we were set up. And the Vulcans are still saying, "Well, you guys are just not ready to be out there." And, burr, 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 burr. and even T'Pol steps up and and she makes the case. And I just remember Archer's line at the end. He said, "You know, you put it over the top. You convinced them. Our mission is uncanceled, and we're going to move on." And I couldn't do it without you. Um, nope. I thought it was a very satisfactory uh, cliffhanger. Um, yeah, solution. I thought in a great a great you know first uh, episode of the second season. Um, which again, it I think it strengthened the bonds between uh, T'Pol and Archer because that's you know I think the strongest relationship in this series, which really reflects him because he's kind of it was funny. I remember when the first episode of the first season aired, my dad had watched it and says, "Yeah, I caught a I caught that first episode of that new Star Trek show. The captain's quite a cowboy because he was he's kind of pew pew pew, but and he's you know he's a little racist, doesn't like the Vulcans very much. Um, but I you mean, start- he's got reason for it. <laughs> yeah, he's got personal family reason for it, but you, you'll start to. See that in his own life uh, and his own experiences, he's starting to soften on that. And I really, yeah. I, appreciate, I appreciate that very much. So I thought it was good. What did you think? I quite liked this one too. Um, I, yeah, it's just a good episode. Um, the whole trying to figure out how to get back from the future is hilarious. Right. <laughs> like walking through a library and it's like, oh, what's this, the Romulan Empire? And eh, I don't worry about it. <laughs> That's not for you. Or the United Federation. <laughs> It's all the, that's a secret thing we'll save for later, which is, I, I like when Star Trek does the tongue in cheek wink and a nod towards right, exactly. future stuff with time travel. Yeah. And then you have Archer's face hovering in the sky and to Paul going, you are on the wall, Captain. Like, yeah. Why aren't you on the monitor? Yeah, he's a, he's a crackling. It reminds me, of, there's a great flick, I don't know, called the Time Bandits from the early the early 80s. Does that ring a bell? It's a British flick. Yeah, I've heard of it. I haven't seen it. It was the Monty Python. And that was the thing, the the, uh, the, the, all, the almighty, the supreme being was this guy whose face was on the wall. And so this was kind of a kind of vibe to that. So anyway, yeah. great, great kickoff. Um, great kickoff yeah. to the season. I remember I was very much engaged with this. I was, um, you know, uh, I was an adult out of college, you know, working a regular job. I've been just tuning into my Star Trek. That was my thing. So, all right. Uh, episode two, that's all you. Go for it. Yeah, episode two, Carbon Creek, um, directed by James Kotner, uh, written by Chris Black, story by Rick Berman, Brandon Braga, and Dave Dan O'Shannon. This was one of our three firsts, um, aired in September 25th, 2002. Uh, Subcommander to Paul relates the tale of a Vulcan crew stranded on Earth in the 1950s. Short description. That's basically what it is. Yeah. Um, and it was fun. It was it was it was a relatively no stake story, but it was exa- it was exactly yeah. you know here's a group of Vulcans in 1957 who are watching over Sputnik because that was the opening shot yep. after the 
to the cold open in the credits when it comes back from commercial. You see Sputnik go by and they see a little Vulcan shuttle in the distance. And then naturally, you know, they develop the problems. Engines they die, they crash. Yeah. The captain dies in the crash. One of them dies. There's three of them. And, uh, and one of them is to Paul's great, great grandmother, which is how the, you know, the cold open kind of got the story rolling. Um, and it was really cool. Yeah. They're, they're in this, you know, little mining town. It's a village old song. It's Allentown. Um, the, and, and it's, you know, explorative of how these two, it was two male Vulcans and her and, you know, how they, they interplay with the characters in that. And yeah. I just, it was, it was great. Again, it was, it was a no stakes kind of story because nothing was going to, Affect yeah. anything. And it was kind of like the Voyager episode eleven fifty nine, which had to do with Janeway's ancestor, who mm-hmm. uh, was not an astronaut. Uh, which Janeway was like, "Oh, my ancestor was an astronaut." And they found out, you know, found out through watching the story that she just was not. She was just kind of a washed up, whatever. But it had yeah. to do with how she, uh, you know, met uh, a dude named Henry Janeway, who owned a bookstore, and then it started the whole Janeway line. Um, and this was pretty cool because at the end of it, one of the Vulcans decides to stay when the rescue party comes. And yep. so, yeah, there was a Vulcan roaming around Earth for another hundred years or so. Really, technically, could have still. Well, no, he wouldn't have still been there because two hundred. He, the- he theoretically could still have been alive at first contact. It would have been I a little rough, that. but he could have. Yeah, he could. Yeah, for all, yeah, for all you know, he could have snuck back on board and. Um, uh, and he's gone. back on Vulcan for all we know. Yeah, but it could it could have been time. You know how the Vulcans like their secrets. But no, it was you know it was a fun story. Again, no stakes. But again, after you know the seriousness of the the two parter uh, yeah. that preceded it, you know you can certainly see how Trek needs to yeah. lighten the load and it, a little every once in a while. And then we're headed into some pretty serious episodes after this. So yeah, yeah. But Carbon so, Creek definitely had some fun stuff with a yeah. lot of character moments and just. Also, some like goofy pop culture references, like saying one of the Vulcans looked like Mo, Three <laughs> Stooges. There's all sorts of just goofy, goofy stuff in it, and it's it's a it's a laugh. Like you're not on the Enterprise very often, but there's right. like a few cuts where it's like triple say like what <laughs> and what that like, sounds crazy. Yeah, exactly. You know, and then, yeah, work? Like, in the end of it, you know, the the, the her ancestor uh, hands off a. Uh, Basically, helps handbag, yeah. invent uh, Velcro yeah. and get money from it, and then that way the kid and the, the the poor kid and it gets to go to college. So it's just it's good stuff. I like it, but again, low stakes, but again, great comedy episode. But again, shows mm-hmm. in the traditional Star Trek fashion some heart. So, okay, moving on. Episode three is Minefield. Ooh, uh, this was directed by James Contner. Now he seems to be yeah he directed a couple. Uh, first episode, the Shockwave was actually uh, written by Berman and Braga, so it was kind of the. The, the royalty kind of coming in to write a strong episode. But uh, this was uh, written by James Shaban, who is again, it's another name I'm familiar with. Don't know that he stayed with the series um, from October of Oh two uh, enterprise snags, a cloaked mine and Lieutenant Reed and captain Archer race to disable it during a first contact with the Romulan star empire. Not exactly correct. It was a fr- it was like saying that episode in season one with the Ferengi, which oh they never named them, or later in this season when the Borg show up and we never found out who they were, so it didn't really mess with continuity. Um, yeah, because what we do come to find out from TOS is that even the Romulan War, which went on for three or four years, not long after the conclusion of this series, uh, they never saw each other face to face. Which they which they kept to in this. They did. And then even with later in the series when, you know, in the, the episode where we're introduced to the Enar, uh, the offshoot mm-hmm. of the, the 
Romulans. Yeah, who, they let the have. in that one they let the audience see the Romulans, but exactly, see, but never no one ever actually sees. And them. even in that one, let the uh, the audience see the um, the uh, what the hell is the um, the Remans. The Remans. Yes. You, you saw one. But anyway, we don't want to get too deep in the weeds on this one. But uh, anyhow, um, yeah, I dug this. You know, yeah, they, they're going down to a planet. They run into a mine. It blows off a chunk of the of the forward hull. And then, um, you know, Reed has to go out there, but he gets pinned because as he's disarming thing, it shoots, you know, a defensive mechanism shoots through his leg. And uh, then the captain goes out to save him. And you get a lot of interplay between the two of them because Lieutenant Reed is such a sullen and withdrawn character and, and you see the captain mm-hmm. trying to draw him out it's kind of shades of Janeway and Seven of Nine in a way like you know, let, you yeah. know we're, we're all a family here be a part of stuff and he's like well you know I, like he's trying to talk to him about um about footy, football, you know, soccer. Um, yeah. And Reed's like, well, I don't really, I don't really follow sports, sir. And he's like, Oh, what the hell am I going to talk to him about? You know, it's just he's trying to find some kind of common ground. Yeah, Reed stuff. keeps like shutting everything down. Like, I don't yeah, do that. Yeah. I don't do that. Yeah, I don't know. With the, the breakfast in the captain's mess, which actually uh, plays into um, the next episode as well uh, with a different crew member. But yeah, I mean, obviously, at the end of it, he's able to um, save Lieutenant Reed through. You know, you know, they. De- detach the whole plating and then they have shuttle bay doors and it saves the explosion and they manage to limp off and um and it leads us into the next episode so it's kind of it's a two-parter um but the two-parter is going to be yours to talk about but anyway your other thoughts about this episode before we keep on trucking into the next one um i thought it was fine the the only thing that i had a like a slight like timeline quibble with was um figuring out Romulan language really fast only because then there's like the connection between it's has Vulcan roots and that sort of right. thing. So well, that's one of those, like, right. I mean, that's, the, and they do that with a yeah, word. No, no, I, I don't mind Ohoshi figuring it out. It's more of right. the, it, it's more of the, because we have TOS and there's the big shock of, Oh, they look like Vulcans. Um, it was, right. and, that and was more right. the, it like, seems to be like, no, they're the Romulans. And she doesn't really seem to act like, well, we know they're actually us or yeah. why would it be a secret? Because even in Balance of Terror in TOS, when that first Romulan played by Mark Leonard, who also plays Spock's father in season nope. two of that show, even Spock does the eyebrow raise like, what? I mean, was yeah. he faking it? Do the Vulcans yeah. know? I mean, because otherwise, the, the, implication, yeah. the implication is that your general Vulcan doesn't know, but oh, maybe gotcha. the higher, but like, in season four, it looks like the Vulcan High Command knows, or at least right. some of them do. So like you, some you people know, whole, but a lot don't. You have that whole three-parter with the, you know, the, the Kirshara, yeah, the Kirshara, and yeah, the, you're right. So, you know, I never really thought about that way. So it's kind of like, you know, obviously, it's like Area Fifty One, right? You know, is yep. Area Fifty One real? Are there alien space right there? So yeah, does the Vulcan High Command know all about Romulans? Know the whole deal? But the Vulcan High Command gets disbanded. Following mm-hmm. the Kirshara episode, sorry about spoilers for not only an episode from 20 years ago, but something we'll talk about on this show down the road. Yep. Does <laughs> when when the Vulcan High Command gets disbanded, do some of their secrets go down with them? Is it like the KGB? Do some of their secrets disappear as well? Which is why Quite a possible. Vulcan Fox generation and someone who's in Starfleet would know anything about it. Yeah. That's that's I never really thought about it that way. It's compelling. Compelling. I like it. Yeah. I like it. But anyway, moving on, 
um, to episode four. Go ahead, please. Episode four, Dead Stop, uh, written by Mike Sussman and Phyllis Strong, directed by the wonderful Roxanne Dawson. Ooh, yes, Luana Torres. <laughs> and aired in October 9th of 02. So, heavily damaged by the previously mentioned Romulan mine, Enterprise is repaired by an unmanned automated sentient alien repair station. It's a great thing they happen by that in space. Yeah. <laughs> kind of, kind of super convenient, but um, yeah. Which you know what I'm doing all the talking here. You go first. Yeah. So this one, um, you have Enterprise. They meet somebody and they say, "Hey, there's a repair station over here." And so Enterprise goes to check it out. And they're like, "Oh, it's too small." And, and right. what is this thing out in the middle of nowhere? And it reconfigures itself to fit the ship. And they're like, "Oh, cool." And then the atmosphere is redone, and so they go over. And they find out, oh, we can get the ship repaired, and all we need to do is drop off um, some deuterium. Cool. Um, and so they they have like shore leave on the station because you can't keep people in you know places that are exposed to vacuum <laughs> while the ship is being repaired. Are you sure? Okay, yeah, it's generally so. not a good idea. Um, so they have people coming on the ship on the station and we get to see replicators because on enterprise, we don't have replicators. We have right. a chef and some basic food synthesizers. Mm-hmm. Um, but then all of a sudden something goes wrong and Travis is dead. Womp womp. I hate it when that happens. Yeah. So suddenly, suddenly our red shirt is dead. Oh no. Um, but Dr. Flox figures out that, um, it's not actually Travis. Uh, it's a uh, it's a facsimile of dead cells that has been perfectly replicated down to the subatomic level, um, but just doesn't have the vestiges of life, so it couldn't possibly be him. It don't mean a thing if you ain't got that swing. So exactly. yes, this this was a riff on your typical, you know, in everything. You know, it's it's if it's too good to be true, it probably is. Because yep. yeah, you know, and, and that's something that you you see trip. Is, you know, figures it out pretty early, and he's like, "Well, you know, it's it's everything, but you know, they, they did everything but make our bed and put pillow, you know, put mints on the pillows." It's just which was always that was always the case with Janeway and Voyager. She was like, "Yeah, you know, this person's trying to help us, but they're probably also trying to screw us over." And she was always right. So yep. you would think just it would happens. just become starkly protocol straight up if it looks too good to be true run you know because again very conveniently they got the ship fixed that's great because they wouldn't have had any other way to do it they were basically stranded um so Mm -hmm. that's handy dandy that that happened but yeah it turned out that this alien station needed to have you know it was basically the matrix they needed to have you know humans as batteries so that it could it could well they weren't even batteries they were like uh they're like cpu chips Yes. Yeah, you're right. You're right. They were, they were chips. They were, they were basically, they were part of the big computer. So, um, but yes, but in the end, obviously in classic Starfleet parlance, they blow everything up and they break out (laughs) with an extra bonus of it exploding. Exactly. Yes. Hashtag explosions. Very nice. So that that was a cool episode. And again, it was a cool two-parter. Again, Mm -hmm. it was a, it was a convenient way to kind of put things back on track, but I just, I made the CG modelers very happy. They didn't right. have to show the ship's damage for too long. Right, exactly. Yeah, nobody wants to have to redraw that for the whole time. So anyway, all right, let's pick up the pace with episode five, A Night in Sick Bay, uh, directed by David uh, Strayton. Uh, this was a Berman and Braga joint. 
as writers. This was from October of 02. The captain's beagle Porthos, ah, becomes ill from an alien pathogen, and the captain frets in sickbay, waiting for him to recover. Yeah. <laughs> the less said about a night in sickbay, the better. <laughs> you know, this was, again, a very low stakes episode. Um, didn't even really seem to move the show forward as far as character. Well, there's character development for the dog. No, thank you. Um, yeah, th- this was, a, th- this was, I think what we're going to certainly find more and more of as the season goes on is, is kind of a series of misses. You know what I mean? Um, th- yeah, this one was just a dud. I mean, I love the dog. I love my dog. You can tell that, yeah. you know, the captain really loves his dog, but, uh, it's just, it's just not very start. And then the, you know, they encounter the alien species that, Oh, they have a, you know, flocks figures out a way to, to heal him. But in the meantime, the, you know, the captain has to go shirtless with the chainsaw to do a thing to appease the aliens. And it's just we're all super set. weird. We're, we're all set. <laughs> we're all set. <laughs> it's a very strange episode. Like, yeah, it's, it's not like, you know, it's not sub Rosa bad, but it's just, it's boring. <laughs> I know. I, I got you. Um, Although yeah, we do so, get to see a lot of flocks being weird, and I enjoy okay. seeing flocks being weird. So there's that. It's a very unique portion of the series, too, because you never really end up with another alien in the series that's really quite that alien until you get to, you know, Saru uh, in Discovery. So yeah. early shades of that. But um, I bless this next episode because it has given me a new title to this to, to our episode. But I'm going to let you read it and then... Uh, without scrolling down, I will I will tell you what I decided. Go ahead. Re- re- right. Number six is all you. Number six, Marauders, uh, directed by Mark Vejar, or Vejar, however he pronounces his name. <laughs> um, written by, well, teleplay by David Wilcox, story by Rick Berman and Brandon Braga, aired October 30th of 02. Captain Archer barters for deuterium from a mining colony plagued by Klingon marauders, who are also seeking deuterium. Wow, the Klingons causing problems on another planet. What? you got to be kidding me. All right, I'm jumping in with what I've named our episode because this is a plot line uh, mirroring the fourth or fifth episode in the first season of The Mandalorian. This is a pre-Mando ripoff. That's right. This is a storyline of the peaceful villagers and our people come along and they're being plagued by an outside menace and our people are going to help them overcome the outside menace and then their lives will be better yep it's been done time and again what do we see we probably saw seven yeah we probably ended up yeah we probably ended up seeing it in other star trek our other star treks i'm just not thinking of it i'm sure we saw it in i think there was an episode of firefly that they did the same thing it's just it's it's troperific and i don't know that our people did it any better with this? At least they didn't chalk in a, a terrible romance, which they could have with the little yeah. kid and the, the little kid who had the, the mom who was a widower and he, he yeah. glommed on. So yeah, they, they, they could have they gone almost there. did it, but they didn't. Yeah. But I mean, they did it in Mando and they've done it in other stuff. So I'm just like, yeah, this was very like, uh, it, it was super generic to me. And again, yep. uh, it's, it's, it's Berman and Braga. So they, they kind of got two duds in a row. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, because, you know, you see them coming back and like, oh, you got two guys that created the show. This should really these are people who probably they created these characters. They understand these characters. They know how to structure a Star Trek story. And they mm-hmm. just didn't. 
they just gave us kind no. of something run. It was very much felt like early in TNG when they were just like, let's recycle the plot line of the naked now or the naked time and make it the naked now, or let's recycle. Let's take these scripts from the unproduced. Star Trek two and, yeah. And well, and redid it, which they did with the child in season, season two, the season opener yep. of TNG. So yeah, th- this was Dudsville. I, I didn't, yeah. didn't don't, don't really have a ton more to say about it. It wasn't awful, but it wasn't great. It was just kind of there. Like if you, if it comes on the TV and I'm like, Oh, look enterprise, I'll watch it. Like it's right. not, like it's not like I'm gonna go like and turn it off. It's not yeah, one right. of those. Yeah, it's Again, not. It's you know, not yeah, Sub Rosa. Imaginary friend, yeah, and TV yeah, or that. or Night Terrors with Troy in the floating, like you know. Yeah, that one's not. Oh, great I'm having a dream in the screen, and I'm in the clouds. This is not good stuff. Yeah, I know. I know. Like TNG has is my whipping child for some of its really awful episodes, but there's some in a bunch of the other shows that I just won't watch. Like right at my this theory. point. At this point, I won't watch Cat's Paw anymore. I I, I tell you, once you and I get done with this and we move on to TOS Season 3, those are going to be some short episodes, my friend, because we're going to be like, oh, really? The episode of the empaths sucked. Moving on. Yeah, (laughs) there's a bunch of rough ones in Season 3. I mean, yeah, I mean, we'll we'll get into that. But anyway, let's wrap this up uh, talking about the seventh, which is not, which is funny because if you're watching the, do you watch the boys over on Amazon Prime? Yeah, I actually finished up the most recent episode yesterday. That, that's their version of the, uh, the justice league is the seven. So they can, yeah. fortunately this doesn't really have that connotation, but no. uh, yeah, <laughs> this was yeah, this is the seventh uh, directed by David Livingston, who is an, a heritage Star Trek director. Again, Berman and Braga um, from November of Oh two uh, to Paul is reactivated by a Vulc- as a Vulcan intelligence agent, which I totally dug reawakening a dark secret from her past. And this actually also gave us actor Bruce Davidson as a guest star. So he's a yeah. her- heritage actor who you've seen. He was Senator Kelly in the first X-Men movie. He's been in just absolutely everything. Just a great, yeah. great actor dude. But um, yeah, I'm struggling. I watched these a couple of weeks ago. I'm trying to remember he was, yeah, he was a surgically yes. altered. Woman. He went rogue and she's been, you know, they've been chasing him for, 15 years or something yeah, and now he's find like him, and so the trail ran cold and then all of a sudden they found him again and, right. and she becomes as obsessed with bringing him to justice as like kirk was in tos with you know the the, the, the dichronium cloud and, 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 the, and the obsession um i just want to between between working with you and working with katie is that you and i are so much more referential because we click with that where she is just she has such a global view that really helps me see things a bit differently where you and i are just like we're nerds and we're talking about this episode and that episode but you know what idic my friend you her me we just we we make one beautiful i can't I mean wait I, we, I can wax philosophical if you want to but i just like doing the nitpicks <laughs> No, that's okay. I can't wait to. We're going to have an episode just looking at the schedule coming up later this year where you, Katie, and I are going to be on and we're going to tear apart the JJ films. That's going to be great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> be, we be have like, opinions. There's not going to be like, yeah, I, I have notes. <laughs> um, there's not going to be a lot of philosophy there. But anyway, back to this episode. Yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm kind of fuzzy on it. Um, but yeah, she was an agent. He got away. He was a smuggler. And when they catch up with him, he's like, I don't do that anymore. I'm a good guy. I'm only hiring spent shell casings. And uh, they chase him around. And I know when T'Pol goes on this mission, uh, Archer goes with her, of course. And again, so it's another you know opportunity and character study between the two of them and developing yeah. their relationship. And then, you know, poor Travis is along to pilot the ship. He's just, he just, the guy just has nothing to do. Travis. Travis gets beat up a lot in this show. No, he really does. He's, the Jordy, he's kind of the Jordy slash Chief O'Brien of this show, just to yeah. kind of getting his ass beat a lot. Uh, but anyway, you know, she she's obsessed with chasing him to the point that she's 
creating dangerous situations and putting people in danger. And in the, and he's professing his innocence. And at one point it looks like he is. And then she finally catches him and it turns out that he was lying all along, which is not yep. at all surprising. Um, so what did you think about this? Did this advance things at all? Or was this just another, I think what this episode actually did was it helped. Um, it really helped Archer and to Paul. Um, okay. With their character dynamic, because it it finally let to Paul have something that she was, um, not proud of necessarily, and not clear mm-hmm. on. And then Archer was able to like, hey, you don't have to go through with this. We need to look at this, you know, objectively. Like Archer was able to kind of help her in the way that she normally sees herself as helping Archer. And so it kind of helps that character dynamic, I think. So I think for th- for those characters, it worked out really well. It also gave us a little bit more of a, a flesh out of T'Pol as she's not just a grumpy science officer who's forced right. to be on Enterprise. It's like, right. no, she did shit beforehand. Right, and she <laughs> and screwed so- up. And she's trying to make it right, and, and in a way that she's trying yeah. to do it, maybe she goes too far, which is, which is very human. Um, so, yeah. Okay, so of the seven episodes, um, do you think we're off to a good start for the season? Are we feeling good about it? Or are we feeling yeah. like... It had a miss, you know, with A Night in Sick Bay. Right. Um, but as a general overview, I think that the first start, first part of season two of Enterprise was a pretty solid start. I agree. Yeah, we had we had the great cliffhanger. We had the nice two-parter with the minefield and the dead stop. We had the, the nice comic relief of the Carbon Creek. Um, like you said, Marauders was okay, if tropish. Um, yeah. And then the seventh was, you know, it's okay. You know, it's, it, it's given you hints that she's not just, you know, she's not just some stuffy science officer that she has a little bit of a past, which is cool. And we learn a little bit more about that as the season goes on. So, yeah. well, good. Well, that wraps us up for this episode. Peter, again, welcome back. Great to have you. I'm I'm kind of getting fired up uh, about Enterprise. You and I are both cosplayers within the club. Uh, you yeah. got yourself one of the Enterprise jumpsuits. It's a little too big for you, so you're yeah. getting a smaller one and trading it over to me. I ordered some custom patches for us uh, because of uh, you know the the If you go to our website, the the there's a lineage of the the ship. Uh, the ship name started out as an NX class uh, back yeah. in the Rhyming War. This is my my Trek fan fiction. And so I had Joffrey, uh, who is uh, a member of our club, who does all of our graphics, design this up. Um, so I'm excited to see that. And that's available yeah. uh, uh, on uh, an Etsy store. Um, that I work cool. on in Georgia that I should I should list that in the show notes. I'm always really bad at that kind of stuff, but I'll do my best uh, when I edit the show right when we're done. But Peter, with that, go ahead and take us out. All right. For more information about Starfleet International, please visit Grand Petoskey on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Awesome. Well, friends, thank you as always for joining us. You can find me uh, over on Twitter uh, at the C3, spell it out. Uh, you can hear me blabbing and sharing memes and things of that nature. Uh, April and I, uh, with Peter as one of our senior staff, actually do run the USS Grand Petoskey here in Western Michigan. We're a chapter of the International Star Trek Fan Club where we like to do Comic-Con shows and raise money uh, for the Make-A-Wish Foundation of Michigan. Um, yeah. Peter, where can people find you out there on socials? Well, if you want to find me, I am Petrus Aquinas on Twitter. Um, I sometimes show up on Twitch. I'm in a Star Trek Adventures game on there right now. Um, so you can see that. But other than that, that's kind of where I exist. That's where it's at. That's okay. Well, good deal. Works for me. So, friends, one last time, thank you as always for joining us. I'm going to tell you that sharing is caring and to keep on trekking. Peace and long life. 
This podcast is part of the Secret Friends Unite podcasting network. Visit secretfriendsunite.com for more great shows, articles, news, reviews, and more. Secret Friends Unite podcasts are available on Apple, Google, Spotify, and other podcast services around the world. If you'd like to be part of the conversation, you can join us on Facebook or our new Discord server, or follow at Secret Friends U on Twitter. Please subscribe to Secret Friends Unite on YouTube and visit our merch store at tpublic.com. Just search Secret Friends Unite. Thanks for listening.